This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. There are people obviously going out there saying we've got biodegradable balloons. So can you give us a bit of a snapshot on the industry? I mean, are there some obviously shonky balloon makers out there? What's a, what's a snapshot of, of the balloon industry? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, balloons are made out of latex. Like latex, they are latex balloons and latex does come from rubber trees, but like that's not the whole story. And unfortunately, like that is what's marketed. Like Jen and I, you know, went to a ton of party supply stores in Tasmania and we looked online to try to find, you know, different types of balloons and the majority of the packages, you know, said biodegradable or they implied that they would break down a problem, that kind of thing. And we actually had a really hard time finding balloon packaging that didn't say that. And so there's definitely like this push by whoever is designing these packages to really get consumers to believe that these things are biodegradable. And so while they do have latex in them, it's not just latex. In order to make a balloon a balloon, you have to add plasticizers to them. Plasticizers help to make them stretchy. You have to add dyes to them, obviously, to have, you know, like lots of colorful things. And you have to add um, like things like polyurethane. And that essentially helps the balloon like not oxidize in the sunlight as fast. And so like if you have you know, a balloon that everybody's experienced is if you're playing with a balloon, you get like, you know, oil from your fingers on it and like it gets kind of funny looking. And like, so there are lots of chemicals to like counteract that and there's antioxidants to counteract that. And basically like there's all these chemical additives that are added to the latex during the balloon manufacturing process to make a balloon something that we recognize as an object and also to make it usable that can last for you know, a couple of hours to more than 24 hours when you have like all these like balloon displays or whatever. Well, I mean, if you're one of those balloon makers on the side of the road, like the buskers that make dogs out of it, you know, you want a strong balloon. I mean, there's balloons, you know, so obviously, yeah. And if you think about it, like everyone's, oh, yeah, these are biodegradable. I've never thought of a biodegradable balloon. I'm like, a balloon, it's pretty bad. But there must be people that look and go, oh, I feel good now. It's biodegradable. Uh, thinking out loud, surely these 
producers of these so-called biodegradable balloons must know they're totally lying to the public. I mean, it just doesn't make sense that a balloon could be essentially biodegradable, really, when you think about it. Yeah, no, that's that's totally the thing. It doesn't make any sense. And that's kind of part of what drove Jen and I to do this research. We were just like, why? Yeah. Like, what, what's the big deal? And like not saying it's not biodegradable, you yeah. know, and really I think the history of balloons, so like balloon releases were really popular, even, you know, they're still popular today, but like mm. I think they're falling more out of favor. Mm. There's, you know, big like race car races where, you know, they mm. like Indy 500 or whatever, mm. where they release lots of balloons. Like it's a really common celebration. It's also a really common like memorial, like for mm. funerals or memorial services, you know, to release balloons and, yeah. Um, just celebrate, you know, a person's life or whatever. And so like there's this long history of kids' parties. Balloons and yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, parties. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I mean, just take them away from the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let's let's be a couple of let's be a three party poopers. But before we do that, I do want to talk about this historical research. And I'm going to call this out because you got yourself and uh, Dr. Jennifer Labors actually wrote a, a, an article in the conversation, and I'll include a, a link to this in the show notes. But you guys actually uh, cite a study that was actually done in 1989, and I'm going, to, I'm going to call this out. It's called A Study of the Effect of Balloon Releases on the Environment, and it's by a, uh, a, a person called uh, D.K. Burchett, who's the Technical Advisor of the Environmental Committee for the National Association of Balloon Artists. So if you, if you don't call that a conflict of interest, I don't know what that is. But let's, let's, and, and the reality is, and this is uh, some words out of your article, and I'll, and I'll actually quote this. I can't say it any better than you guys. So you guys say, and I'll quote, for decades, the industry relied on one industry-funded study from 1989, which claimed that after six short weeks, balloons degraded, in quoting, at about the same rate as oak tree leaves. Unquote. And there was no way balloons were a threat to wildlife. Now, it's worth noting that study wasn't peer reviewed. Its methods are a bit unclear and not repeatable. And, and the re- results were based on six, six balloons. balloons. So, and look, but people, most people are aware of conflicts of interest, but the fact that this well, probably multi-billion dollar balloon industry has relied potentially on this single study and probably realizing that it was wrong. And even if you were a balloon manufacturer, you'd probably have, I don't know, dozens of balloons lying around your office or factory. And you probably realize that, you know what, they're not degrading after all. <laughs> uh, but essentially there's, in the absence of your research paper that's recently been released, that they, they basically just ignored this issue. Really, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's really weird because uh, I guess kind of there's two things happening there. One is like, yeah, he only used six balloons and, you know, like, why not use more, especially if it's funded by the balloon industry? Like, you have plenty <laughs> more balloons at hand. Like, bump up your sample size, dude, you know? <laughs> it's weird that nothing's been done since 1989. Um, there actually was a, a PhD student from Clemson University, uh, which is in South Carolina here in the States, that did study balloon degradation, but it was never published in the peer-reviewed literature. And so like coming from like our side of the fence, like we're scientists and like we expect that, you know, science is done, science is documented and science is shared and science is repeatable. And the way to do that is to publish in a peer-reviewed journal, Mm, mm. you know, and like you just don't cite papers like this, this balloon paper from 1989 
that, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm this guy and I did the study, you know, take my word for it, you know, and, but like the, in balloon industry has done that. And it's just like, why didn't you just do a better study? Why isn't it a peer reviewed journal? Like, there's no reason that that couldn't have been done. It's well, been, not. The reason's very clear. They have a vested interest in people having this oh, come belief on, Brad. that <laughs> call me really? a cynic. Really? They have a vested interest in selling balloons. Uh, oh, but they must know oh. they must know this research is coming at some point. Yeah, they were just waiting for the knock on the door. Uh, you know, Izzy Blewett, Izzy. <laughs> the University of Tasmania are doing something about balloons. Oh no, <laughs> time to time to sell my shares in the balloon company. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's really bizarre. Well, can you take us into it um, for, yeah. for the listeners? So you, we talk about good science. We talk about you know repeatable methods. You know, what did you set out to do in the project? And can you give us a bit of an overview? Sure. So for our study, uh, we wanted to quantify it. So like we looked at this study from 1989, sample size of six. And um, what he did is he put balloons out for six weeks and then he weighed them. So he had, he weighed them before and he weighed them after. And so he had, you know, some mass change, you know, numbers to show. And that was like the only quantified <laughs> aspect of that. that Sorry, report. it's just pretty funny. <laughs> six balloons, weighed them and then produced a study and went, we're good. We're good for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and that's like that's just the most incredible thing because that's the only thing that's been done since 1989. It's 31 just, like, years it's later. Mind-blowing. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, so anyway, so he, he looked at mass change and then um, that PhD study from Clemson, which was also never published in the peer-reviewed literature, which is why I don't think anybody ever heard about it. He, I don't know if he did mass change or not, but um, he measured tensile strength. And so tensile strength is just how far something is stretched before it breaks. Like how strong is that material? And so he had some tensile strength measurements. Um, he did some other stuff. And then there is one peer-reviewed scientific study from also from 1989. And they also studied balloons in the environment, but it was I don't think their sample size was very big and it was part of a larger study of polymers. So they were looking at fishing nets and different types of polyurethane and they were like, oh yeah, let's do balloons too. And so it was like, just like this kind of like side project in this paper. And like, that's literally the only research that exists in the quote unquote literature about these things. And so Jen and I looked at that and we designed a study that was going to be repeatable, was going to be quantifiable. And we're going to like produce some numbers one way or the other to say, yes, they break down. No, they don't break down. And we ended up somewhere in the middle, which is totally fine. Cause like our mission was to provide some numbers to this, this issue. And so what we did is we get, we had 960 balloons and we put, you know, some of those balloons in uh, industrial compost at the tip in Hobart. And then we put the rest of the balloons either in freshwater tanks or saltwater tanks at the University of Tasmania in Launceston. And we let them sit for 16 weeks. And uh, every two weeks we took those balloons out. We took some of the balloons out. We assessed mass change. So we, we weighed all the balloons beforehand. We cleaned them off. We dried them. We weighed the balloons afterwards. See if there was a mass change, just like that first study by Burchette. And then we did tensile strength on a subset of the balloons. And so we did that at the engineering department at the University of Tasmania um, in Sandy Bay. And we used a universal testing machine, which is really cool. I've never really been around engineering equipment, so it was kind of cool to work in that lab. But they just have this machine that like slowly pulls apart whatever material you put it in. So in this case, the balloon, and it sounds like this balloon was the first of its kind to be in this machine. So it slowly pulls it apart until a, a breaking point, and it measures like how much strength was required to pull it apart. 
And so we did that for tensile strength. And then the third thing we did was we looked at the kind of the chemical signature of the, of the surface of the balloons. And to do that, we use what's called a FTIR machine, which stands for Fourier Transform Infrared Spectroscopy. And basically, it just takes a picture of the chemical surface of the balloon. And so we took FTIR measurements of the balloons from every two weeks over time to see if the chemical signature essentially changed over time. And so with these things, if balloons did break down, we might expect them to lose mass. We might expect their tensile strength to decrease. You know, they're not very strong anymore. And we might expect their chemical signatures to change over time. And um, really briefly, what we found is that mass change wasn't really um, a great measurement. Some balloons gained mass, some balloons lost mass. Um, we think some of the gaining of mass was due to balloons in the water tanks that essentially, you know, had osmosis happening and absorbed some water. The tensile strength kind of varied between treatments. And so the tensile strength and balloons that had been in the compost kind of remained pretty steady. So those balloons were still pretty stretchy and strong at the end of 14, 16 weeks. Whereas the balloons in the water tanks, their tensile strength really went down by like week eight. And so we think that might have been due to the UV that was, you know, exposed in the water tanks versus the balloons that weren't exposed to UV, obviously, in the compost. And so ultraviolet light seems to have some effect on tensile strength of balloons. And then um, with the FTIR and looking at the chemical signatures, we saw that there, again, was some effect of ultraviolet light. And we could see there were some additional compounds in the chemical signatures of the balloons over time. Um, and it looked like some parts of the balloons had essentially been oxidized, but it wasn't very consistent between balloons, um, even between balloon colors and also between, you know, the freshwater versus the saltwater versus the compost. And so taken all together, we had really mixed inconsistent results. And really the bottom line is that at the end of the 16 weeks, the balloons really didn't meaningfully break down. Like, some of them might have lost mass, but they still look like balloons. Like if an animal were to eat those balloons at week two or at week 16, like it would have had probably the same effect on them. And so there just really wasn't any meaningful degradation happening that we observed. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and like, I guess for the citizen scientists of the world, it's an experiment you can probably do yourself. Yeah. Like you might not use 960 balloons, but you can certainly get a, a balloon from your birthday party. Not that anyone's going to have balloons after this podcast, but uh, <laughs> you can just put it in your compost heat or put it in a, your fish pond or something like that and just see how it breaks down yourself. But like you said, after 16 weeks, whether it's in a freshwater environment, sort of saltwater environment or in a compost, you're seeing no meaningful decay or breakdown or degradation of the balloon. The balloon is essentially functionally, uh, structurally, still looking, acting, and feeling, tasting just like a balloon. Okay, and like any industry, where is the balloon regulator? Like, <laughs> well, no, no, because look, look f for me, where I'm listening to this, I'm like, well, there is an opportunity for someone to legitimately make a balloon that breaks down. Yeah, for sure. Someone's allowing these to go through and have that label. Someone's allowing yeah. it in Australia to go putting it on our shelves saying it's biodegradable. Where's mm -hmm. the Australian regulator? Yeah, I, uh, I honestly don't know. It's, it's a really interesting situation. I don't think there's a necessarily a balloon regulator, but I think the Australian Consumer Commission or whatever, yeah, sure, I, I yeah, know it's yeah. called something else. Yeah, they have uh, rules around making misleading and inaccurate claims. And I'd suggest that based on this research, they knock on the doors of all the balloon suppliers, at least in Australia and ideally beyond, and say, hey, you guys are making incorrect and misleading claims. 
get rid of that label right now. Yeah, but mate, yeah. That's, sorry, Morgan, Brad, but this happens across multiple sectors, across multiple industries every single day. Mm. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, but people, why do we care about balloons? Is it because who's who's actually manufacturing the balloons? It's definitely possible, and like I mean, like the industry has relied on that one study from 1989, that's maybe to justify, me. you know, them not, you know, doing any additional research or whatever. And it's just like, why not do research? Like, why not develop a better balloon? Like, we're not against balloons. Just don't like release them into the environment, <laughs> throw them out properly, or whatever. Like, yeah. just. Like, why not develop a biodegradable balloon? Like, there's so many other biodegradable polymers out there. Like, this is really just another polymer. Like, mm. there's so many polymer chemists out there, you know, like, just stick somebody on it, you know? Yeah. But I, I guess we need to sort of, so I guess on, obviously this article has been released in, a, in the conversation and probably a few other sort of news outlets, but... What are you actually looking to do with this? Are you are you knocking on the door of the National Balloon Association if it's still around or other sort of groups like that overseas and saying, hey, this is what we're finding. You can't claim this anymore. We're calling BS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, again, just as scientists, like we just wanted to quantify this problem and say, look, this is what we did. Like you are more than welcome to replicate our study and see if you get the same results. Like please like do it and you know like get the results for yourself do um, they ring you back <laughs> <laughs> not that i've heard so far but you know it's still early. <laughs> they say morgan a, a, a balloon with go away on it I suspect. <laughs> hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, like honestly, like anecdotally, if you just Google like balloon degradation at least a year ago, like there have been a bunch of anecdotal studies. I know like several journalists have documented like, oh, I just kept a balloon in a jar of water I made mm. for a year and look, it's still there, you know? And like, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff like that that is out there on the internet. But again, it's just, it's not, it's not quantifiable and it's just, it's not in the peer reviewed literature, which yeah. is what we as scientists rely on for the best science. And so we would really just encourage people to, do more of this, like replicate our study, please. Yeah, look, and, and sure, but obviously I'm pretty confident that if others did replicate their study, they'd come to the same conclusions. But w yeah. how, how I think actually this, this is quite interesting and it probably changes the classification of balloons. So as an example, in Australia at least, uh, mulch is recognised as what's called a prescribed contaminant. So it's recognised that whilst mulch can be very beneficial, so mulch for those who aren't familiar is just basically you know, wood chips or something like that um, that you put on the garden uh, to encourage vegetation growth and retain moisture, etc. But mulch, if it washes away into the creeks and rivers, carries a lot of organics and nutrient loads which can cause significant environmental harm. Now, mulch is 
identified as a prescribed contaminant. So if I accidentally released mulch into the environment, whether it was washed off my site or a garden, etc., I would subsequently be fined. I suspect balloons should be, and I, I, I actually no, balloons should be labelled the same way. Surely they would be identified as a prescribed contaminant, knowing that if ingested, they cause significant environmental harm to seabirds, etc. And they don't break down in any meaningful way, at least after 16 weeks. And recognising 16 weeks is a long time, you know, three to four months, you know, that's a lot of opportunity for some sort of uh, seabird or other sort of marine species to ingest that balloon and cause itself significant damage to its health. So surely balloons should be identified as a, a prescribed contaminant and subsequently managed as such. And as a result, th- th- this is where I'm going at, but essentially if you release a balloon, whether it be from an Indy 500 event or a, or a AFL grand final or a kid's birthday party, you should be appropriately fined. Surely that's the next step. Yeah, yeah. There is some legislation that does exist, at least in two places in New South Wales. And there are a handful of states here in the U.S. that do ban balloon releases. But it's really, it varies a lot from place to place where like, you know, in Florida, you're allowed to release 50 of them. But in Connecticut, maybe it's only 10. And so like, there's inconsistencies in that. But like, there's a push to essentially find somebody for releasing it. But I mean, like that doesn't solve the problem. Like once it's released, it's out there, you can't get it back. And so, Mm. you know, that I think has to be thought about too. And really, I don't know. I think the main problem is like, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, Mm. when you release a balloon or when you throw trash out even like, and you know, the, they come and pick up the trash at the curb and like, you don't have to think about it anymore, but like it still exists. And I think there's just kind of this disconnect between, you know, if you can't see it, it's just not a problem. And I think that's a problem. So some of this legislation, you know, is the heart is in the right place, but I think they have a long way to go. And again, like it's just a handful of places here and there that are actively trying to ban such things and find people for, you know, doing that. So it's on its way, but it's going to take a while. (laughs) Obviously with COVID, we're probably seeing less outdoor events as well as indoor, but and outdoor events, we often saw like a big release of balloons, et cetera. I must admit, are people still use or are event organizers still using balloons at sort of outdoor events like sporting events and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think so. But again, it varies from place to place. I know the city mm. of Hobart recently, maybe last year, decided not to use balloons at outdoor events anymore or possibly at all. I'm not, I don't remember the details on that. And uh, yeah, I think um, I actually just saw a news story that balloons had been released in Brazil, maybe to celebrate all the first responders in response to COVID. It's just like, it kind of leaves you speechless. (laughs) But again, if you don't know, there is a problem. And in their defense, they might be relying on this 1989 study, which says balloons are just like oak leaves. And we can sort of say, well, that just is ridiculous, but if they're just believing the best available science, even though that science might be a bit dubious, I guess they're kind of justified in their actions. But now that I guess with an increasing awareness around the issue of balloon ingestion by seabirds and and the, uh, I guess at least this uh, study showing that balloons, you know what, don't de- degrade or decompose, they stay in the environment for a very, very, very long time. Surely that will actually change behavior significantly. 
Yeah, we sure hope so. I mean, like there are programs out there, like uh, Zoo Victoria has a program, Bubbles Not Balloons, mm. to encourage people to think about alternative things to, you know, if you want to release something into the air, you know, why not bubbles? You know, that's something that is really short-lived and, you know, isn't going to get swallowed by anything and, you know, cause an intestinal blockage. Yeah, um, the, 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 the video you're referring to, like it's actually released by Zoos Victoria. It's called When Balloons Fly, Seabirds Die. And they essentially uh, go through the issue and, and consequences of, 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 of balloon ingestion by uh, seabirds and talk about alternatives. So but obviously we've focused a little bit of our attention on maybe regulation to sort of event organisers and, and maybe for, for governments to consider as well. But in the absence of that, for the uh, listener uh, out there listening to our Little Ocean Protect podcast, is the, is the simple message just stop using balloons? I mean, it's more complicated than that. I guess it's, uh, you can kind of think about it, you know, balloons are kind of a single use product and it's like, well, don't use single use products because like, that's just something else that just generates waste after, you know, a really short period of time. And so if you think about balloons as a single use product, which they are, then yeah, don't use them. But really our message is to raise awareness of the problem, like not just the balloons, but of just plastic pollution in general, mm. that's just everywhere in the environment and have the scientific data to back up your message, whatever it is. In this case, you know, balloons don't seem to break down in a really meaningful way across, you know, sectors of the environment. And I guess personally, like I don't want, you know, like there are people that rely on the balloon industry, you know, for their their career, their lifeline. And like, I'm not trying to take that away from them. And I just want consumers to be aware that like, don't release it into the environment. You know, I think bin it and pin it is a really good slogan, you know, just like be responsible, be a responsible consumer, you know, think about what you're buying when you buy it, dispose of it properly, whether that be recycling or, you know, just not letting raccoons or whatever get into your trash and spread, you know, trash into the waterways. And I mean, like it just goes on and on trying to just raise awareness for where trash goes or where objects go when we're no longer in possession of them. I think that's just really important to think about. And I guess there was would have been an assumption previously. Yeah, like uh, it's like if you imagine that you're at a birthday party and you, people might be drinking, I don't know, cordial or soft drink out of a plastic bottle. If you're at that party, you obviously – Take that, those single use items and put them in the bin. You wouldn't just throw them over your neighbor's fence, for example. Whereas yeah. the balloons, releasing balloons is essentially the equivalent. And if anything worse, by releasing them, you know, they're not just going away. That away is often a, a terrestrial or marine environment. And they do have a high tendency of actually being ingested by various species, which will suffer some pretty horrendous uh, difficulties as, uh, and potentially death as a result of that ingestion. So yeah. As we learned last night, though, you know, you might as well throw them up in the air or you take them to landfill, and then yeah. landfills can become sources of plastic pollution because all the birds yeah. are going there, eating it. And then what was the figure last night from Megan and Lillian, a million bits of plastic yeah. on that island? What, what yeah. island was it again? Yeah, it was a, a wetland in just north oh, of yeah. uh, Launceston in Tasmania, which is in southern Australia. And they, it was a, a wetland near a landfill, and and they were basically showing how the the seagulls or the gulls were actually going to the landfill, uh, eating the uh, some of the contents of that of the rubbish in that landfill, and essentially coming back to their wetland environment and regurgitating what they call what we call boluses, which are basically 
pallets of, of you're, you're saying that of, to, of to Morgan. <laughs> I think she knows. And essentially, it was essentially the, the birds were essentially taking going to the landfill, ingesting plastic, and and vomiting it back into the wetland environment. So that's the, that that's a really good point. Uh, so just because something is put in the bin and transported to a landfill and put into that landfill, there's actually no guarantee that it's going to stay there. So, look, whilst a good message might be to, hey, yeah, if you're going to use balloons, put it in the bin and make sure it's appropriately disposed to landfill. But I, I personally think a, a greater solution, a far better solution, is to simply not use balloons at all. No, 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 no. A better solution is to make reusable balloons. No. <laughs> Well, no, don't use them at all. Why do we need balloons? Well, hold on, party boy. Oh, um, I'm party pooper. I have a no, great no, no, time. No, 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 hold on. You say to her, no, no. But if if you are if you are servicing, you know, children's parties, blow up yeah. balloons, pull them down, take them to the next place. Yeah, take sure. Happy kids. Cool. Why yeah, do we need balloons though? That'd be cool. What What do balloons do for me? Nothing. You, you, you give me a You give me a dance floor, Jeremy. I will light that bad boy up, and everyone will be entertained, and everyone will walk away going, "Best party ever." Everyone Everyone is into different things, Brad. As we know, I'm just saying we don't need to ban all balloons. But a good thing, like, why do they not have reusable balloons? Makes sense to me. Part of the reason that we did the compost part of the experiment was to test, hey, maybe we can compost them. You know, like industrial compost is becoming more and more available in various municipalities. And, you know, that's better than sending it to the tip where, you know, the gulls are picking up all kinds of stuff and bringing it elsewhere to like to tame our wetlands. And I was hopeful that maybe they could be composted, you know, like that would be a wonderful solution to this, but that's just not how it worked out. And so Mm. like, yeah, the idea of, Really, it seems like the next step is to develop better polymer chemistry where these things actually do biodegrade mm. and then maybe we can think about composting them. Like if, if balloons are going to stick around for a while longer, you know, like let's make them better. You know? mm. Well, this podcast is all about empowering our listener with uh, information and knowledge for them to make their own decisions in their own lives. With this information, recognizing that balloons don't break down, they cause horrendous impacts to seabirds and other marine species. There's a few options you can do. Okay, you can you can you can try and use a reusable balloons for for sure. You can try and advocate for uh, more fancy biodegradability of balloons, or you can just not use balloons at all. I'll leave the listener to decide the most appropriate course of action. I know what I'll be doing at my parties, baby. Mate, you obviously don't have any kids. <laughs> you can't take balloons away from kids, mate. But, you know, again, understanding the problem. So parents might think twice next time. They might go, I mean, why why do you throw away balloons? Because you end up popping them. And why, 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 well, why do we? Oh, because you've got to tie the knot. You can't get the air out efficiently. You're like, oh, the balloons. Oh, no, no. Balloons generally float away if they've got helium in there. They're not generally not going to just float away. Uh, they- no, no. But let's say you've got a party at the back. There's kids at the back. And at the end of the party, they're all like really high on sugar <laughs> and they're, they're gone. The balloons, you either, kids either pop them. I mean, yeah. you, 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 you know, they don't fly away, the ones that you blow up yourself. Yeah, yeah, Because you can't actually let the air out because you've tied them in a knot. But if you could let them out, mate, we could be onto something here. Oh, to be honest, I'm surprised how much balloons Jennifer and Morgan and others are actually finding in these seabirds. It's quite staggering. Like, I wouldn't have thought there'd be that many... Balloons being released. Mate, you're not invited to too many parties, are you? (laughs) But clearly not. And I'm happy with that. (laughs) Happy to miss every party that you're at, Jeremy, just quietly. (laughs) Oh, mate, don't worry. I didn't get the call either. (laughs) 
But I'm just, I'm really surprised how big an issue it is. I rely on science and obviously it is. And it's, but I, I look at this and go, look, plastic pollution and balloon pollution is, is, is a big problem for sure. But again, it's one we can readily solve. And this is the case for almost all sort of uh, plastic pollution marine environment and, and balloons being one example. It, look, we, we've identified a problem. We've done appropriate science to actually demonstrate the magnitude uh, of the problem and I guess the, co- the, the causal factors. A key one being, yeah, but balloons are actually being released, but also they actually don't appropriately biodegrade. So with that, we sort of make more informed decisions. And for my mind, the solutions are obvious. Uh, but look, it, it, people can make their own decision as well. It's like, it's like, it's like being vegan. I love talking about being veganism. We all know how the good vegan, being vegan is for the environment, you know, uh, reduces. Uh, so animal agriculture being the leading cause of deforestation, biodiversity loss, a key cause of climate change. But you know what? People still sometimes eat meat. And you know what? They can do that if they want. Me, I'm going to, I'm going to choose vegan all the way, baby. And I'm going to, I'm going to have no balloons at my party. <laughs> Oh, sometimes I enjoy doing these podcasts, Morgan. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Best party ever. Look, uh, Morgan, we probably should uh, land this plane. We almost always say this now. Having this podcast is honestly one of the most amazing privileges. We get to talk to such interesting people, talk about such interesting research and science. Uh, and look, you guys have just done a, such a good job with this research around this balloon issue. The fact that it's the sort of first, I guess, publicly available scientific research uh, in 31 years on, on the degradation of balloons is staggering. The fact that it completely debunks that 31-year-old study is pretty cool, I must admit. And again, uh, for my mind, it actually is a key uh, source of information which I really hope will drive change and essentially help solve this problem. And on behalf of the seabirds of the world that would otherwise be ingesting balloons, I thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and equally for all the parties that Brad's just ruined for kids, we thank you for the children out there. <laughs> so Morgan, it's, it's, as Brad said, one of the wonderful things is doing what we're doing and we learn and our listeners learn. And unless we can share good science, I mean, not bad science, a 1989 study, well, that doesn't need uh, any more spotlight uh, (laughs) shone on it, but good science communicated well, and that's exactly what you've done today. And so thank you so much, and um, I look forward to the next study whenever that's coming out, and come back on the show and tell us about the the next phase in, uh, in the research. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. Keep up the great work, Morgan. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.